Let's pray once, once more. Heavenly Father, uh, every time I stand up here, I'm just aware of the oddness uh, and holiness of, of your word, and yet it's accessible. It's given to us uh, to, to normal, ordinary sinners uh, who are being saved, have been saved, being saved, and will be saved by your grace. Called out, we're called out. We're we're uh, referred to in scripture as called out ones. Called out from our lives uh, before, when we walked in darkness uh, in the world system, we're part of the kingdom of Satan, and deception, and lies. And, uh, and so we're called into a marvelous life because of your grace, because of your purpose, for your pleasure. So we thank you so much for. These truths remind us again this morning. We have a, had a lot of uh, praise and uh, prayer requests this morning uh, as we are going through that. So there's a lot of hearts, and, and I'm sure it's tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of, uh, it seems always, I would say, busy time of the year, but it seems to always be busy. But uh, we've got so much on our plates and, and, and things we're concerned for in the country and our own personal lives and the community here at the church, uh, many other things going on. But I pray that you would. But still, our hearts uh, for some time here, uh, both at Sunday school and this morning in the service, that we might get back to that basic, basic place of relationship with you. Uh, and forgive us for our sins. And, uh, in the service, we're going to take a brief moment to talk about the sin of impatience. And it's really um, speaking to me again this morning. It's, uh, it's something I think we all can identify with in a fast paced world. And, uh, and so I just, uh, whatever the case may be, I pray your Holy Spirit would take this meager offering here and break it and feed uh, many hearts. Um, and not just here at Blue Ridge, but around the world as, you, as your word is open in many places. Uh, sometimes it's secret. Uh, as believers gather, have gathered, are gathering, and will gather that you would uh, prepare hearts over your word <coughs> and do a mighty work in many lives for your glory. Pray for our, uh, we've already prayed, uh, just, again, just for our fellowship coming up in a couple of days at the uh, 4th of July, a uh, good opportunity to invite people who don't normally come to the church to that, and I just pray that it would be a blessing to them, that you would uh, open hearts there, and also for VBS. Uh, many of the kids come here and just pray that you be praying their hearts as well. In Jesus' name. Morning. You guys need notes? You bring your other half? Yeah, he's okay. there. Okay. That's why. Okay. <laughs> well, if he needs notes here, we'll get them. All right, let's uh, open up to uh, John uh, 13. Actually, let's look at our, our notes here. I'm... <laughs> Last two sessions, we were looking at the first section on our notes, which is the um, the danger of apostasy, right? And uh, we just haven't gotten past that uh, up to now. And I'm tempted to continue talking about it as I was thinking this week, uh, but I don't want to. I don't want to belabor this too much because there's so much more in front of us, not just in this section of John 13, but in the, in these uh, next 
five chapters that we're entering, right? You know, discourse and the high priestly prayer. So much great stuff there. I don't want to be later this, but but I want to make some a few just quick passing comments about it because I don't want to be misunderstood. And it's such I think maybe it's such a burden on my heart because uh, I was here myself, my personal testimony, uh, for so many years. You know, we I was raised in church. Was uh, since second grade, I went uh, to Christian schools, good Christian schools, okay? good, good, sound, solid Christian schools. Uh, you know that we spent four years uh, at John MacArthur's church in California. You know, it's hard to beat that for uh, not just him, but also the staff. I mean, you, you walk in. I don't think they do it anymore, but at that time you would walk into the uh, off the main sanctuary. There was sort of a, uh, a w administrative wing where they had a bookstore, and um, there's a sort of entrance, and you go in there. And they one of the things that impressed me was instead of seeing the big picture of John sitting there, there's like all of these little pictures of like a hundred different pastors for all these different areas. It's the first time I kind of seen that. So there was a lot of really really good teaching. To my point. You know? Uh, in the junior high group that I was part of and all of that. So, but all that notwithstanding, it wasn't until in high school when when the Lord really began to rattle my chain. We looked at, uh, you know, uh, Matthew 7. That's kind of where we've been. Uh, the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus warns that there are many who will miss salvation, even though they think they're on the road for salvation. They find out when it's too late. I never knew. Depart from them. Awful, awful words. Awful words. The worst, I think that's the worst case scenario. It's bad enough to be going to hell and know it, you know, to know I've given God the finger and walked off to live life on my terms rather than his. And, you know, and you could kind of expect that. But it's another thing entirely. To be absolutely convinced that you're a Christian and you're you're in the church and you devote your life to you know even seminary and, and you know teaching and all that and then to find that out so such 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 an important um, topic and the New Testament is so full of, of of places we could really spend a lot of time if we if we wanted to do an exhaustive or almost exhaustive study of it but there's so many places in the New Testament. Uh, Jude is one that really comes to mind. The whole theme of that book is watching out for false teachers, right? Not just apostasy of people leaving the church, but especially apostasy of people who have left the faith but are still in the church, right? We don't often think about apostasy that way, but that's how it's being used, particularly in the case of Judas. And um, he was not only just one of the one of the many disciples that followed Jesus. Remember, at one point he sent out how many? Seventy, right? So we often think of when we say the disciple, you know, disciples, the disciples, we think of twelve, but that's not the case. There were quite a few that followed Jesus, even after John six sixty six, where many left. There were still more than just twelve hanging around. Um, you know, so but that being said, out of that pool of disciples comes this sort of you know, inner circle of 12, right? That eventually we're going to become the apostles that lay the foundation for the church. Judas was one of those and still apostatized. Okay? And so it's it's a very serious issue. One of the, I think one of the most, one of the heaviest, heaviest, if not, I don't say the heaviest, 
but it's a heavy, heavy issue. And so we, we spent a lot of time uh, last two sessions talking about that. And, and uh, I, I just wanted to say too, that, uh, you know, I, one of the, we took, I, I gave last time from John MacArthur's uh, points, he's been talking about something similar. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to those messages about Christian deconstruction. Right? There's a lot of people that are leaving the church and, and ex-evangelicals, they call themselves, and that kind of thing. And he gave five areas of, of um, uh, someone who might be deceived, right? So just, not he's, and he's not saying, and I'm not saying too, uh, that, that this is necessarily, if you see somebody with, or yourself even, one or more of these markers, that that's necessarily you're deceived. Okay? It's just, you know, warning signs, you know. As Paul says, examine yourself, right? To see if you are in the faith. Because you don't want to be one of those in Matthew 7, standing there when it's too late and hear those terrible words, right? Amen? Amen. All of us, we got to examine ourselves. And I just thought his points were really good, right? So first is people looking for miracles, feelings, blessings, experiences, right? Um, they're interested in what they can get rather than the glory of God. The second is people who are more committed to a denomination or association than to the word of God, right? We talked about that. Um, uh, the first one, well, let me go through the list. Uh, the third one was people who are involved in theology as an academic interest, right? Uh, it's more of an intellectual activity, and they'll argue about uh, finer points of, of doctrine or theology and, and, and you know, um, Hit one view against the other and that kind of thing. Um, there's a lot of those. I, I have a guy I went to school with in those Christian schools, in fact, since second grade through high school, coincidentally. Um, he didn't go to California with me, but anyway, long story. But he a very smart guy, and he graduated from uh he, he was co-valedictorian of our class, and then he went on to um uh to get his eventually his doctorate from Yale. In religious studies and, and he's exactly that he's just he's very very smart guy but he's just completely apostatized but he's still a church right he's he's part of the i won't say it's denomination but he's part of a very liberal kind of denomination and, and i one of one of the guys in our class who walked away from the lord for a while and then came back and is now a fiery pastor in texas uh said to him like one time it's like why do you reject the Bible but still want to hold on to it? You know, it's, it's, <coughs> anyway, so there are those people involved in theology as an academic interest. The fourth is uh, people who always seem stuck uh, on one overemphasized point of theology, right? We talked about examples of that. In this part of the country we live in, a lot of churches that are uh, very obsessed with the King James Version. Uh, that's just one of many examples. You can have all kinds of things. Uh, the appearance of, of how people dress, um, you know, uh, certain styles of music or, or whatever, or, or just um, end times, right? We talked about that. Some some that are very, very obsessed with end times. And, you know, you, you listen to the message and, and somehow it always just ends up at that same, you know what I'm saying? So... I just say, you know, for myself and for any of us that teach here in this church, make sure Jesus Christ is the center of gravity of every delivery from the Word of God, right? He is the issue. 
And he warns us about that in John 5. That these are they. The scriptures speak of me. Scriptures don't give you eternal life. Jesus does, right? But these are they who speak of me. You've got, you know him through this, but you don't worship this. Right? All right. And the last is someone uh, who's overindulgent in the name of grace. Uh, people who, um, there's a lot of that. That, that one's really popular uh, in a lot of churches now where people are very, um, hey, it's all about the grace and the love. God loves everybody, right? And and, and so we're, we're really at a time where the church more and more is, and not just, you know, those sort of extreme liberal, you know, mainline churches that we sort of ignored for years, but now it's coming into, into conservative mainstream evangelicalism where, where um, you, you've got a lot of... Uh, um, people that, that are beginning to sort of wink more and more at sin, right? And sort of just, it's not really, okay, well, yeah, just died for my sins, yeah, I'm a sinner. But we sort of, we don't say we're not sinners, but we just sort of minimize it. We don't really deal with how serious of an issue it is and an ongoing basis, especially. Okay. All right. I was, I was very tempted to talk about music because that's very much dear my heart, but I won't do that. Other than to say that music, again, uh, while it should enhance the, the, the worship, the heart of the worshiper is prepared by the word of God, the truth of God, the spirit of God taking the word of God, and, and, and then music helps and enhances that for sure. But it's not the means by which, you know, we are ushered into, and the, the presence of God doesn't transform us, right? It's not a feeling. It's the word of God. And you say, well, the Holy Spirit's there. Yeah, he's there. He's always there, right? But again, people today, many people are seeking an experiential presence. Oh, the, you know, the, the anointing was there, you know, and just I felt the presence of God, right? You heard that? There's a lot of that, okay? Um, be careful about that because it's not the presence of God that he's promised to bless. It's what? His word. His word. His word, right? As the uh, rain doesn't fall from heaven, yet that doesn't water the earth and provide bread for the, for the sower and the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will accomplish what I set it out to do, right? That's what God says. So I don't know about you, but I'd rather take his word about yeah. it than, than other people. So, all right. So that's kind of where we've been, and that's all i got to say about that. Let's move on. Um, apostle of apostasy, okay? With that background of stu the study on apostasy and how it is still with us today, and especially, again, especially the danger of apostates that have left the true faith, you might say, have left a love for Jesus and, and a submission to him, but are still in the church. That's really the danger here, okay? With that in mind, let's take a look at the archetypal apostate uh, Judas, okay? And I've titled this little section The Apostles of Apostasy. Uh, David, you good on notes? You got that? I do. Okay. Thank you. All right, so let's look at that together. <clears throat> We've looked at the term apostasy and its dangers, but what does the term apostle mean? The Greek term is apostolos. Did I get that right? Yes, I did. <laughs> Professor. <laughs> And is another transliterated word. In common usage, the word often 
most often appeared in a verb form and referred to an emissary. They carried the idea of an ambassador representing the interests of the one who commissioned him. An apostle then was one who was sent on a mission to deliver a message. And not, and not just like one sentence and then I'm done, right? But it's, it's, it's the idea of somebody who is a, is a, is a long-term representative of another authority in sort of a foreign place. Okay, that's that's kind of the general term. We we understand it today as as an ambassador, right? Ambassador. And of course, you, when you talk about that, and I think I'm, I'll mention that here in the next paragraph. My mind always, when it when it comes to ambassadorship in scriptures, I go immediately to Second Corinthians five, right? Where Paul says we are ambassadors, right? As if God were speaking through us, be reconciled to God, right? That's the message that. That we as um, ambassadors carry in a foreign land. All right, so second paragraph there. In New Testament usage, while it is true that all believers are apostles commissioned by Christ, who was himself the first and greatest apostle, according to Hebrews 3 1, to deliver the truth of God to the world, as we just mentioned, 2 Corinthians 5, there is a distinction. Drawn between the office of an apostle, notice that that A is capitalized. Okay. Um, distinction between the office of an apostle, capital A, and others who, though functioning in the role of little a apostle, do not carry the authority of the original apostles who were commissioned directly by Jesus himself or who have been with him throughout his ministry and had a witness of his resurrection, okay? Uh, so there's a lot there. Let's just, let me just kind of take that for a second. All right, so what, what we're trying to say is in the general sense of the word apostle being sort of uh, carrying this idea of, of an ambassador uh, who, who, again, it's not your personal message, it's been given to you and you have a commission to go represent it, okay? That sounds a lot like believers, right? All of us are to do that, and we are. And and uh, um, uh, maybe we can look at that Second uh, Corinthians here in a second. We're all commissioned that way. What I'm trying to make here is, and I've heard it described this way, and that's what I'm I'm kind of echoing here. And I think it's the best way to understand it. There are big A apostles and little A apostles, right? While it is true that all of us are little A apostles. None of us today, despite what some denominations call their leaders, apostles so-and-so. Now, sorry. Now, not biblically. Okay? It's Christ's church, not yours. He commissioned 12 specific capital A apostles. And, and actually, we asked this question two sessions ago, but I asked you how many apostles were there. Do you remember that? All right, and we got into a little debate about it because it's not just 12. How many do we end up with? Remember? 14. 14. Who's the first? Jesus. Jesus, right? All right, so that's there you go. There's that Hebrews reference, Hebrews uh, 3 1, the great apostle in their faith. Okay, so Jesus is the first one. Uh, who's the, who's the, uh, 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 who is the last thing? I guess if you want to put it in chronological order. So you got Jesus as the first, you got the 12. Judas was replaced by Matthias, right? And then Paul, right? Paul. 
the apostle to the Gentiles. Okay, again, that's a whole other study in itself. Uh, there are whole books written about all that, right? Um, John MacArthur has one called 12 Ordinary Men, which is a good study on that. Not that I've read it, but it's right here. All right, so let's take a look at these two um, texts real quick. So we hold our, our finger there in John, and let's look at first at, at 2 Corinthians 5. This is such a great passage. It's always worth reiterating uh, and talking about again, rereading this and reminding ourselves. 2 Corinthians um, 5, beginning with verse 18. My wife really likes the verse right before that. Maybe we can start there. Therefore, verse 17 then, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What is that? That well, that's a, What specific part of salvation? Salvation has many parts to it, many ingredients. That is the regeneration. That's being born again. A new heart. That's what that is. Okay? That's just Paul's way of saying it. And then verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It doesn't say gave me or gave the apostles, capital A apostles. This is for all believers, right? That is, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation that's been given to all believers. Okay, well, what is that, Paul? Next verse. Therefore, we are ambassadors for God, God making his appeal through us. Here it is. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's that? That's the double imputation. That's your sin on Christ and his righteousness given to you. Okay, All, of, all three parts of that necessary ingredients of salvation. It's not enough just to have your sins atoned for. You hear that? That's important. You also need to have the righteousness of Christ applied. Okay. Remember that Paul says in, in, in Romans that there is a promise of eternal life to those to the one who can keep the law perfectly. Okay? And there's only one that did that, Jesus. Right? So our sin is, is imputed to him. Okay, that's great. I got that. Yeah, everybody's okay. But my, his righteousness needs to be imputed to me, just as important, because without that, the promise of eternal life doesn't come. Get that? That's just very, very important, right? And then there's the regeneration, right? Which we already saw in verse 17. So all those parts are there. Um, but that's our—that's the heart of our message. That's what we're taking to people. And so there is your apostleship right there, okay? Little letter. There's your ambassadorship. I like, I like the term ambassador better because it doesn't get confused with big A apostle, right? But it's, it's, it, it, it is technically the same word. It carries that, that, that idea. So all, all believers are commissioned that way. Of course, we're familiar with, with Matthew 18 and the Great Commission and, and so forth. But Paul here applies this to all believers, right? It's not just for the disciples that were standing there when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven and gave them that commission. All right, so then let's look at um, 
Well, what, what is a capital A apostle? So let's look over at uh, Corinthians, uh, sorry, Corinthians, Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. Again, also on your notes there, okay? I've been doing a lot of talking here because I've got some coffee in my veins this morning. Somebody want to read that? So, uh, uh, Acts chapter 1, 21 through 26. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belonged. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11th apostle. Some people, thank you, and appreciate that. Um, some people argue that, that they made a mistake there. <laughs> well, you heard that? Yep. All right. Why? Why did they make a mistake? <laughs> they didn't. Because they think Paul should have been the one. But you know what? God is sovereign. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of places in even the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit directly speaks and intervenes. And, you know, like Paul was getting ready to go somewhere and doors closed and went to Macedonia and said, remember? But Paul also the, referred to them to 12. The 12, yeah. 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 Right. And uh, Biltmore. In uh, I think it's the music room. There's figurines. Each one is about yay tall, made in Germany, back in the 1700s. Of the each one, twelve of them of the twelve apostles. Paul is the twelfth apostle, <laughs> not Matthias. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, next time you're in there, go look. Well, was Paul even alive at this time? Hmm? Was Paul? Oh, yeah, he was alive. What, 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 was he a bad guy still? He was still a bad guy. Yeah. No. Remember in a few chapters over chapter seven, that's when we have Stephen's speech, you know, and Stephen of Stone. And guess who's holding the clubs, right? He is approval. It's all. Yes, he is. But he's in there. He's, you know, yeah. everybody. That's right. All right, so the Lord the Lord knows what he's doing in replacing Judas here. The point I'm trying to, to make is not to get into those those arguments, um, which I think, you know, they did the right thing. Holy Spirit could have intervened if he wanted to. Uh, no, is my point. No problem. Um, but look at the criteria. Okay, that's the point I'm trying to, trying to make. When they're looking to replace Judas, what's the criteria here? Someone who witnessed the resurrection. Right. Post-resurrection Christ, right? Yes. Nobody was there to actually see the resurrection. You know that? No, that's right? true. So, but like you said, Paul, and then those, someone who was with Jesus during his ministry. That's right. And there were more than just the 12. That's right. You know, who were followers. You know. Exactly. And that and that's the that's one of the things. This is one of the texts that proved that, right? That's why I said earlier, a lot of times when we think 
his disciples, you know, he, he took his disciples aside and said this, that, and the other. If you're like me, you're thinking, okay, that's the 12. But you need to expand your mind on that because there are more than the 12. Matthias and and uh, um, Joseph there, called Barsabbas, okay, are, are, uh, are two who were the foremost. That they put. So there's at least two who are kind of have the criteria that it took to be a capital A apostle, right? All right, so so again, um, and, and it's not just men, there were women that followed the Lord as well. Uh, which, by the way, notice how many apostles are women? Capital A apostles. No, the Lord doesn't, doesn't pick them. And I know it's popular today to, to put women into, uh, to ordain them, to put them into positions of, of teaching authority over a man, but I think this is one example of where um, that is uh, not to be the case, right? Scripture, God against the Lord's church. He, he builds it how he wants. Not to get sidelined on that. There's a whole lot of rabbit trails here. Lord. Well, what about in Luke 10 where Jesus sends out the 72? 72, right. Okay. Yep. Right. So there's quite a few, right? Again, it's more than just 12 at this point. Uh, so, so what are we trying to say? This commission that God the Father gave to Jesus Right, that we've been looking at in the Gospel of John. Remember, all the way back to chapter 3, second half of, first half of chapter 3 is the conversation with Nicodemus. Everybody's familiar with that. What we forget is the second half of chapter 3, which is, uh, well, there's one verse out of there that everybody remembers, you know, where John says he must increase, I must decrease. But the whole context for that is his disciples are all upset because John the Baptist's ministry is, is on the wane and Jesus is on the rise and he's getting more and more people following him and and they're upset about that because they're devoted to John. And even though John has kept pointing them to, you know, behold, lay on God, right? And they're standing. So, but John says in that context, he makes it very clear, I'm nothing more than the, than the earthly witness. And this, what, I, what I speak, I'm just speaking what's been given to me, but I'm of the earth. He is the heavenly witness. That's so important in understanding the rest of, of John's gospel because you see time and time again, where Jesus testifies himself, these are not my words, but the Father's words. What I've heard the Father, I'm giving you. The works that I'm doing are given me by my Father, right? Uh, the words that I'm giving, the works that I'm doing. I'm, I'm not here on my own. I'm here to do the will of him who sent me, right? Again and again and again. So Jesus, that's why we say Jesus is really the first apostle. He is the first ambassador commissioned directly in heaven, Okay, from the very throne and intimate face-to-face -face relationship with the Father and perfectly reveals all that the Father wants to say, right? And then he takes that message and he bundles it up and he puts it in clay jars, you and I. And these people, right? Ordinary, regular unremarkable, otherwise unremarkable people are blessed with the same commission that God the Father gave to the Son, the Son now gives to them. This is something we're going to see heavily in these upcoming chapters, where the Lord makes that very clear to them. I'm, I'm giving this to you. And not only am I giving this to you, but this is important now because the Holy Spirit's going to come too. And he's going to help you 
with this, just like he's helped me. Right? Don't miss that. That's very, very important. We make excuses all throughout, you know, the Lord had, you know, Billy's on. No, no. You got the same Holy Spirit that he did to do the will of the Father. Doesn't mean that the will of the Father for you is to go around healing people and raising the dead and so on. If it were, you'd be able to. But that's not his purpose for you. Right? But his purpose is for you. Uh, come with the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he wants you to do. Let me walk in. All right, so um, that's a lot to say. But the point is uh, here that the, the this is criteria for an apostle, a capital A apostle, had to be someone that saw the Lord, right? And not just one time, but walked with him through his ministry, just like the other uh, 11 did, right? And, 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 then, and then saw him post-resurrection. How many people alive today qualify? Zero. So I don't care what people out there want to call themselves, apostle so-and-so and all of that. No. <laughs> no. Not according to Scripture. Make sense? For that matter, some churches also call <clears throat> senior pastors a prophet. Yeah, yeah, that's another denominational thing, or I, maybe it's non-denominational. I don't know. The prophet, apostle, yeah, bishop, which is okay. It is scriptural, but I'm I'm talking about an evangelical church, the senior pastor being called the bishop, and yeah. other pastors are just called pastors. Right. That seems a little odd. That was, that was I think it goes back all the way to AD 300s. So they had those original five yeah. churches and the east-west split happened and all that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're right. Uh, no, it, yeah, we shy away from, from that term bishop because, because of that, because yeah. it's so easy. It's been, you're right, it's, it's a biblical term uh, that, that is used sort of interchangeably in the New Testament for, for pastors. Okay. And for our Lord. And, and, and for the Lord. Yes, right, right, right. In fact, I'm thinking that Hebrews thing. It's also in a chess game. Too. And <laughs> thank you. Only <laughs> one every call. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. All right. So let's get back to our note. Uh, point is there, right, that there's very, very specific. Bless you. Very, very specific. I'm setting up my word. Um, very, very specific criteria. For a big A apostle. Okay, that's the point from there. Let's get back to our notes here. There are uh, specific miraculous signs given to these men that uh, continued the witness of the Father that his message was indeed uh, from them. So 2 Corinthians 12, 12, we won't look at that, but this is where Paul says, and the signs of an apostle were faithfully executed among you, right? So, so there were very specific, um, you know, uh, things given signs given to them um one of the things that, that i've gotten because i got to thinking about this okay well there was supernatural signs that that believers in general had right not it wasn't just limited to the big a apostles okay uh in the, in the early church uh there were many uh cornelius and his household when peter came they spoke in tongues right <laughs> and, and, and but that was a sign to peter and the other Eight, I think it was uh, 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 believing men that went with him, they, Jewish, Jewish men, Jewish believers, saw that, and it was a witness to them that God was pouring the Holy Spirit out on Gentiles as well. 
But what I find interesting is that, I, I, to my knowledge, and I can be wrong, you can come up, tell me later I'm wrong, in private. <laughs> you can tell me right now, in the back room. Um, but to my knowledge, I can't think of anywhere in the New Testament it records uh, anyone but an apostle uh, and their close associates, so that they're working on right there with an apostle, you might say, as a close ministry team member uh, who could heal directly. Okay, so something to think about. So I think those signs of, of signs of healing, even raising the dead. Remember, um, Paul did that one time. Raised that young man that mm -hmm. fell out of the window. Yeah, and, and, and he raised him to life. But um, but those those signs were limited to the apostles again. So so more uh, more certification. How many people can do that today? <laughs> In spite of the many so-called healing ministries going on, let's see you do it for real. Why don't you go in, instead of having a big arena down here, four hours of, of praise and worship, quote-unquote praise and worship music, you know, and then you come out swinging a coat and slapping people over, go to the hospital, empty it. Then I might listen to your theology. There, there's, I've, I've heard it said, I'm not sure what I believe about this, but the, the devil can mimic this healing so that if someone is healed, it's not God healing, but the devil, Satan healing. I don't know if I believe that or not, but I've heard it. Yeah. I think I think there are some, maybe like behavioral changes, maybe. Psychological? Yeah. Psychosomatic? Psychosomatic. That's yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I think because I don't think the, the, the Lord, because he relies so heavily on those miracles uh, to, to validate the gospel, I don't think he gives Satan the full ability to do that. Yeah. Do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do it. And, and that's why I doubt it myself. Yes. But I, I just, you know, I'm not convinced totally one way or the other. Okay. Oh, I have a question. Yes. Huh? I'm also wondering this too with them. Okay, in like the prophets of Baal, okay, and Elijah were actually they threw down a stick and it turned to snakes. Yeah. Okay. But they did the same thing. So how did how did they have the ability to do that? I think that was that was similar to the way our yeah. illusionists can do things today that look a whole lot like magic, where they're just Either Moses? No, Moses was for real. I thought so. Yeah. No, no. Because God gave it to him. Yeah, right? God gave him the other guys. They were, right. you know, they But remember, remember, they ran out of tricks real fast. Yeah. And they told Pharaoh, this is the hand of God. Yeah, right? You. So they could kind of do the water to blood kind of thing. And yeah. but then you know the leprosy, they couldn't really duplicate that. And then and then you get the frogs and the flies and the darkness and the, you know, and then eventually the death, all those plagues is built on one or the other, attacking the gods of Egypt, by the way, it's very interesting. Uh, to show that there's one true God, and that Moses was there as his in that case, and ambassador too, right? So a prophet, yeah, sent by God. Well, it didn't have to be Satan that. Turn their sticks to say snakes, you know. Right. That could have been God. That's right. Well, because we we know what happened to their sticks. Right. right. <laughs> we know what happened to their snakes, right? Right. So God's like, okay, your snakes can pop up too. That's. I right. think we can say that miracles are today are not 
used as a sign to confirm the gospel. That's right. right. That's a that great word. point. It is. That's a great point. What do they use for instead of that? They have words compared to the word of God. Well, what, what are these miracles that are being deception? Well, they highlight, but, but they, they make the preacher almost godlike. Yeah. Marketing. Yeah. That's marketing. Term, it's marketing, yeah. right? Isn't yeah. it? It's all, I mean, if you can heal people, or at least claim that you can heal people, mm -hmm. and you make enough noise about it, you can fill a big arena with yeah. people who pass the plate, right? Yeah. yeah. All about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, isn't that what happened in the book of Revelation? The false prophets. False prophets, yeah. Yes. It's going to appear that they've come back from the dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's another. It, it, says, it says that there will be signs given to them, but, uh, you know, I think the. False word. I think that it comes from God. I don't think the devil necessarily, because if you read that carefully uh, and, and compare it with other scriptures, it says that 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 the word will the word himself will send a strong delusion, mm -hmm. so that so that the even even the elect would be deceived if that were possible. Yeah. Right. So so you know God Himself can do that, right? I mean we we've already seen that God gave miraculous powers to Judas, right? Mm -hmm. Because he wasn't differentiated from any of the other uh, disciples up to the point in which he apostatized openly and betrayed the Lord. But that was to confirm the message. That was to confirm the message, and right? And the and the, the the sign in Revelation. That's not to confirm the message. That seems like to me that's confirming what Satan can do. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it looks to me like there's before the worlds. Before the world, I think I think yeah. it's what it is 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 yes, it's the Lord. Using Satan and his deceptions, uh, you know, it's not 100% clear that it's miraculous necessarily. It, it may just be that it has the appearance of that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do with science now that, that would look miraculous to people, you know, hundreds of years ago as well. Uh, so and, but, but let's, let's assume that it is miraculous works. False signs yeah. are given to the, to the prophet to verify and, and and point to the Antichrist as the, the leader, right? That's the key. The Antichrist, I think, is going to be given a certain amount of power by God. to, But only because it's part of God's plan. Exactly. That's exactly. the only reason. That's right. That's right. Again, that's why I think that it says that God will send, God will send mm -hmm. a strong delusion. Right. And he does, but again, God doesn't lie himself, right? right? So he does that through the instrumentality of the devil and his forces. Okay, so um, let's keep reading here. Good, good points. I know there's a lot of stuff we just flew over. Okay, um, there are, um, about the middle of that paragraph, there are specific miraculous signs given to these men that continued the witness of the Father that his message was indeed from, from him. That is, that, that so, so the miraculous signs that Jesus did and that the capital A apostles did were all, as Dad just said a second ago, were not for drawing attention to their ministry and filling up their coffers with money like today's so-called healers do, okay? That was for the purpose of particularly confirming the message as coming from God. Now watch this. To the nation Israel, specifically. Once it's been confirmed and the New Testament is written down, those signs disappear, along with the apostles, capital letter. You got that? 
Uh, that's the essence of it. And I know a lot of people don't believe that, but sorry, Scripture is really, in my in my view, is really clear. Not only so is experiences. Again, if 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 if, if on demand, if the gift of on, and I'm not saying that God can't heal. We pray in this church for healings, right? For Debbie's eye, for example, right? And we're looking to that, and we're we're believing that the Lord will use modern medicine uh, to do that. And He can. Does that mean God can't miraculously heal no. and, and go to the doctor and maybe Nina's cancer's gone? Sure, of course He can. So, so when you when you when you're talking about this, when I'm talking about it, I encourage you to say on demand. Here at Kevins. Because the apostles could do it on demand, right? They could say, okay, you're healed. Boom. And the guy's healed right then. Okay, not, well, I'll pray for you. And come on, let's pray right now to the Lord. Peter and John, you know, in the temple, right? And that man comes up and looking for money. He says, silver and gold have we none, but I, I say to you, rise up and walk. He didn't say, hey, John, let's the three of us get together and have a prayer meeting, right? No, he was on demand. So I think that's that's a key distinction that we need to make is that we're not saying God can't heal today, but we are saying that God that there's nobody who has the gift of on-demand healing. That's that, why because the scriptures have been confirmed. We don't need the confirmation; it's already been done. It's written down. This is the word of God. You just need to obey. It. And it's not that God can't heal or doesn't do it. You know, um, it's just that that not our call. It's His. It's what He's decided to do. We know that because that's what the scripture teaches. Is that there's not a lot of information on the internet or on the the uh, television that will show you the dark side of this charismatic movement. But it's there's a lot there. I, we had the conference at Great Church, Australian Fire, and there were a lot of men that have done a lot of research on that. And it's shocking the things that are being done in the name of Jesus in these churches that people believe. And it's yeah. absolutely false. If you want a whole lot, maybe more than you could ever possibly swallow on that, uh, commend to you, Justin Peters. Yes, he's he's an expert in that the whole area. Has tons. He has a he has a great YouTube channel uh, where he covers other topics as well. But that's sort of his main specialty is exposing the falsehood of the word faith and so so called healing ministries. Um, he's got lots of videos um, about. He names a lot of very specific people in that. So Justin Peters, you're interested in that. All right, let's let's try to finish our paragraph at least. Hey, let's <laughs> I was so optimistic. I thought we were going to get done with this. Okay. Um, don't rush. <laughs> no, you're not rush. You're exactly right. There's just so much more good stuff coming. Anyway, all right. Uh, uh, most important, these men, now watch this now. These men were the means. Uh, here's some notes for you, by the way. Down in the middle of that uh, second paragraph under apostle of apostasy. Okay. Of most importance, these men, that is the capital A apostles, were the means through which God chose to reveal his plan of salvation and eternal life for all people who put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Okay. We're going to see that verse coming up, John 17, 20, right? That's uh, where he says, I pray for he, where the Lord, in that prayer, he starts praying for himself, then he prays for his 
disciples who are right there in the room, or actually they're not in the room at that point, they're probably in the garden at that point. But then he turns his prayer to us, and he says, I pray not only for them, but for all who will believe on me, what? Through their testimony, okay? Through their witness, right? So very, very important. When we get there, we'll talk a lot more about that, and it, that includes Paul. People kind of want to downplay him, he says things they don't like, but no, sorry. Okay. So they lay the foundation of truth that Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ, that is no longer being added to. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 and Ephesians 2.20, Jude also says that. Therefore, we do not recognize anyone alive today as an apostle capital A in this foundational sense. Okay? All right, and we are... Sadly, we're out of time. If they had a job ahead of them, you know, and, and Jesus give them the authority to and the ability to heal, we have a job ahead of us. We we have to be a testimony. We have to we have to make sure that we're ready to share with others. That's what our job is. Now we don't literally physically heal somebody, but we can be part of their salvation if they were accepted to heal. Does that sound what I'm doing? Yes. And so that is why we have to be. We have to repent of our sins so we have that clear passage to the Lord to be able to bring things back to our memory and our hearts of what we study. And you're not going to get it back to your heart and to your mind unless you study. But I'm saying that he's, that's our job. I feel like that's what he wants us to do. That's the most important thing to do. Um, I can, I, if I know somebody, I've got guys that work out, if they love the Lord, man, I can talk to them all day long. It's just it's a hard road to talk to that person you know that's hardened has a hardened heart because you don't have that that bond. But see, we need to get over that. I need to get over that. You know, what I'm saying is, I've, I've known people that come up to people and just bam, start talking to us. It's the first thing you know, get to them and they say, you know, they're they're putting something in your I try to do that more and more. They come getting older, but that's what we have to do. Make your stand, tell them where they're at. I love what one used to do. He would bring his testimony into it. Next thing you know, he's talking about little Jesus. He's going to put the scripture down there. Seeds planted, they go on their way or whatever. That is our job. We literally cannot physically touch somebody or command them to get healed. But we do have the power in the word to tell people about Jesus. And God, what is the greatest miracle? Change on change life. Or to put it another way, the spiritual resurrection. You you can be involved in raising somebody yeah. spiritually. That's way better, actually. Problem is we have people, a lot of people that respond uh, to to the gospel, to to a testimony or to to uh, uh, an evangelistic uh, outreach or whatever track or something. Um, but we don't really always know, right? And you're not able to see it, right? A physical resurrection, you can see that. I gets up on the casket, right? But a spiritual resurrection, you don't know that right away. Give it time, and you'll know it by the fruits, right? I was just saying that, yes. If you have a hard time just coming out and saying things, just live the life you're supposed to be doing. People are watching life more than you're living the life. You know, I will you speak all day long about you and you if you don't live it, you know, that's so much very true. There's dangers on both sides, right? I've heard people say, uh, you know, you know, 
is to preach the gospel of necessary words and you heard that mm -hmm. uh, supposedly from St. Francis of CC, which I don't think they're also there. Um, okay, so yes, your your lies should back it up, no doubt, but your words should too. Right? So it's both, both our words and, and our lives. Yeah, very important. But you're right, Debbie. We don't really know. And Rick, even, even those stumbling, fumbling words, remember it's not the impact of your, you know, slickness of your presentation, marketing materials that you have and you know, all that. It's just whatever the Holy Spirit chooses under the in obedience to the call of God the Father that, that works. I need to work on the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> well, make you know, Warren oh, yeah. worked hard on his testimony. He was very good at it. Uh, but it's not, it's not, you know what I'm saying? It's the power is not in, in the presentation. The power is in the message that, that God takes and uses the heart how he wants. Which means we can rest. Right? Yeah. You do the best you can and you lead in God's prayer. Heavenly Father, good topic today. Lots to talk about. We could probably go on for another 30 minutes. But uh, lots here to chew on. And I just pray that, that you would uh, help us particularly as we think of ourselves as as little lay apostles, as uh, uh, ambassadors who are, like Paul said there in, in 2 Corinthians, who are charged with uh, your words as though you were speaking to us. I think about that often. And what a great message. What a, what a great message. We don't have bad news. We have good news to tell people. You can be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. You can have peace with God. All that, all the war and relationships that you have with people around you point back to that primary relationship with God. You don't have peace with people because you don't have peace with God. But we can tell them you can have peace with God and, and it will work itself out over time in peace in other areas of your life. But as Dad says many times, we have the answers for our our very troubled, very disturbed, a hateful, dark world we live in. But uh, we can shine light uh, for people to be able to see, too. So we rely and, and, and rest in the Spirit's ability to be able to open spiritual eyes and, and heal uh, uh, deaf ears and to take out hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh. And we pray that you would accomplish this uh, uh, in, in many lives of people we know for your glory in Jesus' name.